This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I am Blake Howard. This is the 16th minute of Michael Mann's epic crime saga, LA Opus Heat from 1995. Uh, I am joined once again, as promised at the end of last episode, by Lee Zachariah, author, co-host of television, Latoro from Ain't It Cool Down Under. Um, he's, he's joined me again and co-host of Hellas for Hyphenates. This man, I was so lucky. I didn't get to mention last time, but Lee was kind enough. Um, and he's host for the first episode of his um, host, Sophie, um, allowed me to gush about Michael Mann. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, allowed you. I, I begged you. I was honored that you uh, that you joined us after that that was fantastic it was a lot of fun and who did we talk about some some filmmaker no one's ever heard of again no no no, not not something that i've just decided to undertake 170 episode podcast about um no i like that you and i just invite each other on podcasts to talk about michael mann now that's we can do that we can keep doing it you just wait for the next one you wait for the next one uh when i do the i think the definitive edition of heat or maybe thief we'll we'll see we we can get there stealing hearts and stealing minutes of your time perhaps um we'll get there (laughs) Um, Lee, we just are pulling into the crime scene, uh, which Neil McCauley and his crew left. We saw Neil McCauley walk away from Nate and say, don't ask about the happenings there. We're finally getting to see Vincent Hanna again and see him, see him show his stuff because really so far in the movie, you've kind of seen Vincent do only one thing well, which is make love to his wife played by Diane Venora, um, Justine. So uh, we assume that that went okay. He seemed, she, her post-coital cigarette uh, would tell you that it was good. So now we're actually going to see if he's a good detective. So would you join me now at 15 minutes flat to uh, get this next minute underway? Let's watch or listen. Let's watch or listen. Let's go. Find the ambulance? Dumped it. Four blocks from here. Twenty second Street between Figaro and Flower. They torched it, burn everything, the guns, clothes, everything. They were airborne. They taped the last few seconds of the black and whites doing demolition derby. Stolen out of Fresno two weeks ago. The yellow pickup truck out of Whittier day before yesterday. You taking this one, Lieutenant? Or does it stay in division? Look like gangbangers working the local 7 Eleven to you. Robbery homicides taking All yours. Love that. Perfect end. I didn't realize it was so perfectly ends on that. So here we go. Well, I'll tell you something. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, let's go. Ooh. So- that's so perfectly uh, ends. That's a great minute. I have to say, I do feel this is the best minute of the film. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty well, great minute. It's a very great minute. And so good. Are you, are you guys taking this? 
This look like gangbangers coming up to your local 7-Eleven. Robbery Harborside is going to be taking this. Very i got to say, interestingly, um, my DVD player, or perhaps my DVD, has is a few seconds off yours. So when I was like carefully looking at the minutes, mine actually ends a few seconds after this one. Oh, it does. Okay. Well, I'm having... So, folks, I'm... Um... I'm going to have a look at, I've got a, I've got the heat Blu-ray. This is not just as a reminder for any folks who are jumping on and sort of going back. This is not the Michael Mann definitive um, edition, which has very recently come out the 4k edition. This is um, a Warner brothers. And I think it's an international one, but it's an Australian Blu-ray um, from the theatrical cut. So I don't know if my minute starts just like a whisker of a second before yours, but this is the Blu-ray cut. So if for any confusion, um, right on that 16th minute is where you hear it, that Blu-ray version. But, um, yeah, so this great minute kicks off. We see Vincent are saying the scene like it's it's a messy scene and a bit of trivia, um, uh, particularly the young lady who's examining the body. Like a lot of the people who are in this crime scene are, as Michael Mann loves to do with a lot of his different films, um, he gets in experts from their relative field to sort of inform performers and actors and things like that. We saw at the beginning of the film it was a live emergency room that Robert De Niro walks through in LA. This... Uh, scene is filled with real crime scene investigators. And this same uh, woman who you actually see in a later crime scene who he refers to as Rachel, that is a real name. She is a real crime scene, or was perhaps a real crime scene uh, uh, um, uh, detective, uh, investigator um, from 1995 who is here um, and I think he says, "Get your hands out of that man. Get get your hands out of that man's pocket, Rachel." A little bit after, but that is um, uh, real people. But we see Vincent; he assays the scene, and it it looks a lot. I don't know. It's like that dark, you know, rich dark black of the blood and those different scenes. And he's glancing around. He's checking in, much in the same way that Neil McCauley did earlier in the film. He's sort of taking everything in, looking around, scanning, and then. Within like 20 seconds, he's asking a raft of questions, sort of getting up to speed on what's happening and literally doing it wordlessly, pointing, looking, you know, and, and you got to love that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of absurd, isn't it? It's just, <laughs> he just sort of, Pacino swans in, he absorbs all the information and he doesn't even talk. He's just, that moment he just points at the truck <laughs> and waits. And it's, it, it cracks me up, but it's also, if you consider the whole film, a you know call and response between De Niro and Pacino. The last line of De Niro in the you know in the last scene is De Niro saying "Don't ask," and Pacino does not ask. Doesn't need. He's to. like, all right, I won't ask. I'll just point, and we can mime. I found a <laughs> I found a loophole. So he's yeah he's following uh, De Niro's instruction to the letter. Um, and, and, yeah, what, and what's awesome is that Bosco, who's played by Ted Levine, um, who comes in here, he just he, he knows not to ask him questions. So you've got, you know, this poor traffic cop, you know, an older gentleman who's in that local, you know, um, district comes in and starts to probe with questions and ask something. And immediately Bosco just interrupts him. No, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Bang. They burned it. This, that, da, da, da. He's looking around. He's, he's pre he's already preempted. He knows what Vincent's going to ask. He knows he's going to ask about why they're there. He knows he's going to ask about the truck and he just starts outlaying information, but that's such a great pickup. I'd never noticed that. Don't ask. He doesn't have to ask because he's got people yeah. who just tell him, tell me, tell me, show me. Um, such and, great- and they've done this so many times that not only do, do they have that shorthand, but they have like code for everything that could possibly happen. Like airborne, caught the last minute of the black and whites playing bumper cars or whatever, you know, that line is. It's yeah. just like, you know, there's a, uh, there's a way to say that if you just walk into a new scene, if you, you know, a crime scene. 
and something crazy has gone down and you want to say, well, the, the cameras from uh, from the local TV station were up in the helicopter and they managed to film the last minute in which there was a crash, you know. But no, airborne, caught the last minutes of black and whites playing bumper cars. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, this happens so much in my world that uh, you can reduce it down to five words and I'll get it. Yeah, you, deli- you deliver it just... That's it. It's just like chunks of information. I've been at a crime scene where this has happened so many times. And it's like, that's such a true LA thing. And especially an LA moment thing, like a very prescient 1995 thing is that you would imagine it would be inauthentic to not have a helicopter there or a traffic helicopter that caught something. Mm, you know, absolutely. So, like it was just the, the born, you know, you know, tw- news 24 seven, you know, the, the post OJ era of like, you know, tracking different car chases and, you know, that car chase TV phenomena like this, there'd have to be something that have to catch it. And so it just makes total sense that they're going to land, give them footage. So this is what we saw happen. And, you know, and then these guys jumped out. I'm surprised that they didn't, uh, the chopper didn't catch the guys along the way. It'd be a different film, but um, they certainly caught the cops (laughs) crashing and, and, and taking some footage back. Do you happen to know when they filmed this, like the dates of, production no no. because yeah i just i've just looked up the oj simpson thing and it was uh, and it was i think june 94 when he went on the run and i think i've got that right the um the big uh well there was a several month shoot and they released december so i would imagine and like there's a massive you know i think this is a traditional 35 mil film. Um, it's got, they had four editors that are credited to this. Dove right. Honey's the primary editor. So I'm thinking that it would have to have been early 94. It would mm. have to have been early 94. Interesting. Well, yeah, June 17, 94 is when, yeah, OJ. So, so that would have been fresh in their memory. And even though it's a one line thing, you know, the airborne chopper, the idea is now bedded in, you know, this, they're going to catch something. They're going to catch something. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're sort of this ever-present eye in the sky. Uh, you know, pre-drones, pre-satellite imagery. Imagery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. So, robbery, homicide division. We we get to meet these guys, and I I love this poor. <laughs> there's this great <laughs> on in 15 minutes 31 seconds on the Blu-ray. Um, on the Blu-ray card, there's this amazing look where you see. It's almost like you can read what Pacino is thinking from reflected in what these guys are actually looking at. So you see like Ted Levine's face, he's all business. He's just, you know, he's all business. He's looking at him. He's, you know, very astute and assertive. He just wants to chunk that information for Vincent so he can start to make some moves. He's seen him scanning the scene. And you've got this poor guy who looks like a deer in headlights, this poor traffic cop on the one side, just completely, he's getting nothing from this detective. He just, Pacino is not giving him anything whatsoever. And so it's just like, he just is an annoyance. He's an inconvenience. And then you see while Bosco's there, the rest of his crew start to assemble and walk around because, oh, well, you know, the big dog's here, so to speak. McKelty Williamson's here as Drucker. You got Wes Studi um, walking along as castles. Um, They're just sort of Mm. there checking things out and looking around and trying to pick just something, anything, any one of those leads that they come around. But again, look at that stacked, you, t- you said it before, look at that stacked cast. Like, where's Studi off the, you know, straight off, straight off Last of the Mohicans. It's like all these bad, back when Michael Mann did Thief um, mm. with James Kahn, 
uh, an interesting fact is that all of the guys who played bad guys, except for the the lead villain, um, were Chicago policemen that like that he knew from uh, working on shows like Crime Story, and all of the um, so all the bad guys were Chicago policemen and all the good guys, like all the cops were played by real criminals, like former criminals from Chicago. So it feels like he's got Buffalo Bill, he's got Magua as the good guys, like, and, and, <laughs> and he's got future Don King as another good guy in there. So he needs all these bad guys hanging out to play the cops in this. I feel like it's like that subconscious thing that now that I'm watching this all the time, I'm like, even more so than I already did, but uh, I'm seeing these little things in there. But I love, I love what you, said, you pointed out. You know, right there, one line. They've uh, cemented themselves at least in an LA that is a post OJ LA, which is great. That that's it, and and that 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 poor uh, cop kind of looks like. I know he's not, <laughs> but he looks like a cameo, like like a, a, a director who uh, who's you know some old old great director who's just come in and they've stuck a uniform on him because he just looks so out of place but i've I've got i've got i'm frantically looking through now um yeah i've just been scanning imdb IMDb to see what if he's a if there's like a traffic cop or something um along the way that we will give it we'll give it there but I don't. I don't think he is. But that's kind of like I don't think he's anyone of note. Like any, it's it's not some big cameo. No. Uh, but uh, but he just has that that sense about him. You know, it's that that great Michael Mann casting where everyone's got the face of the world etched. <laughs> oh, sorry, the history of the world, map of the world. What's the term? Map of the world etched on their face, and you just you, you know that this guy has a history and a life outside of the two seconds he's on the screen. Yeah, he's uh, he's been a de- he's probably been. This guy was probably a detective in the robbery homicide division for 30 years. And so he's looking at Pacino with his baffled face. Like, I've never walked into a scene and pointed at something <laughs> and someone has to speak back to me like they're a dog. Like, I point at them and they speak. Um, but are you so getting what, paid for work? So, <laughs> so what, what do you think about Pacino? So we didn't really get to this in the last minute that you're on the show. But what do you think about Pacino's performance in this? Because I, I, I tend to, I as a... As a diehard fan of this movie, I, I, I think that that's such a him... Well, sorry, I think that's such a character-driven performance choice. I don't think it's... You know, both of these actors later in their career and even up to this point in their career get kind of set... You know, people would often... A criticism would be they're sort of just carrying a persona. They're, it's a persona-driven performance as opposed to a character-driven performance. But I think yeah. that Michael Mann, one of the things that I really love about his films is that a lot of the char- like a lot of the actors that he gets in his films don't play. They're not not they're not playing to type necessarily. Although they might use that and it'd be infused in them, like Tom Cruise in Collateral. Um, it's not it's not contingent on the performance. The performance is still really solid. Here, I think Vincent's like you know he's the lead detective. He's the main man. He's walking into this. So for me, it just feels like it makes sense. Like, uh, what about you? Do you feel like it makes sense? Do you feel like it's Pacino being super Pacino here and take, taking the reins and going crazy? What do you think? Well, it's sort of that that period where Pacino became the became a meme before he even used the word <laughs> meme. It's like it's sensible woman heat. Now here's the thing, like where. We're used to these versus films, like this thing versus that thing, Freddy versus Jason, Batman versus Superman. This isn't Lieutenant Vincent Hanna versus Neil McCauley. Like, I can't even remember the character names. 
I keep calling them De Niro and Pacino because this film is De Niro versus Pacino. That's the selling point of the film. That's all you need. A cop and a criminal, the two best actors of their generation, finally sharing scenes together. And that's certainly how it was sold. And that's, you know, and that is a great way to sell it. And I feel that I don't really want authenticity from them because especially in a Michael Mann film where (laughs) as stylized as it is he's yeah as you say he feels if he casts criminals he's got real criminals in there if he's casting cops he's got the real forensic people and the real this and the real that everything's really authentic which heightens these larger than life superhero (laughs) characters who just sworn in and do ultra cool stuff because they're completely in control. And like his superpower is to understand everything and point at things <laughs> and absorb the information immediately. And you know, that is this, that is what this film is. It's the, it's the ultimate versus film of, uh, and, and, you know, I love their performances because they're leaning into the, the idea of themselves as, as icons and, and they're using that, you know, that, that's, that, that's fueling their performances. Yeah, did you hear? I'm wondering if you heard um, when Michael Mann did the 20th anniversary uh, celebration of Heat, which launched the sort of 4K print. I think Chris Nolan hosted an event in LA and it had like nearly it, nearly all the major members of the cast were there and they did a big Q&A. It was a massive celebration um, for Heat's 20th anniversary a few years ago. And one of the things that Pacino said was like around that time, he was like, one of the things that Michael and I used to talk about was that Vincent Hanna was a cokehead. Like he was like, he took cocaine. And I, mm. when I see this, like that's one of those moments where it's like, if you feel like you needed to think that Vincent Hanna took cocaine, but Michael Mann never showed him taking cocaine. Cause that for him was like the showstopper. Like that's, he's not an addict. He's, this is what he is. Yeah. I kind of feel like, I don't reappraise the performance at all and go, oh, yeah, no, he must be a cokehead. I just go, I actually don't want him to be a cokehead. I want him to be this much of a nutbag, like that obsessively career-driven and obsessed with his profession that, like, he walks into a room and you see it, you can even see it in, like, films where there's, like, where they play about CEOs or coaches. Like, I think that's why he's fantastic in things like Any Given Sunday. But you even look Mm. at, like, a CEO walk into a room and they just bark orders, you know? Like, the best one, you know, a great one is, like, a magazine editor in Devil Wears Prada with Meryl Streep, right? She just, like, sort of comes in and people are fawning at her to give her information before she asks them a question because, God forbid, she (laughs) criticizes them. I I think that that's what he is. Like, he is the the large in life. I love how you said it sort of, it's fueled by his essence, but it's part of the character because, you know, you can't just they they give him they roll out the red carpet. He gets right front row. <laughs> he gets the best parking yeah. spot in the crime and in this in this. They don't, like, you know all those scenes, all those scenes in cop films where uh, the cop walks in and ducks as they as a, as another cop lifts <laughs> yes. the thing. He just drives through. His car goes under them. Guys, like, oh, here we go. You know, it's like he's being chauffeured or he's chauffeuring himself into. But the yeah, the 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 police line being lifted so his entire car can go through just because you know that's easier. That's easier. Uh, yeah, he's not going to walk. He's not parking a kilometer away and walking for ten minutes. No, he's the lead detective. He's Vincent Hanna, and he doesn't have time for for walking or asking questions <laughs> or you know or, or or verbs. He's just you know just give me. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me the cliff notes. Uh, I think what's great is that you've kind of stumbled onto what's really great about this is that um, these characters, uh, despite the fact that they're really rich and authentic, and especially the tapestry of characters that are around 
um, De Niro and Pacino in this movie. Um, and they're very distinctive styles. They're also rich. They've got these great backgrounds, obviously clearly did a lot of preparation for the roles, but you're right. I'm obsessively sort of, uh, you know, watching this movie. So I know the characters' names, but like, I don't, I don't think I've ever, if I said Neil McCauley to 95% of people, they would go, what, what are you talking about? Neil Neil McCauley, a detective, a, a detective Vincent Hanna. What? Like Hannah? Like it just it doesn't. There's there's nothing about it. But if I said Pacino and De Niro, like you're exactly right. Bang! It's like Batman versus Superman. And I think what's even funnier is that the Chris Nolan connection comes back again, just briefly talking about Batman versus the Joker um, in 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 the Dark Knight, which he apes so much of this movie aesthetic, industrial lighting. You know that great sort of um, across the table scene, even though it's much sort of more. I don't know which one's more cartoonish um, from 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 a from an acting perspective, um, but so great. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it must have been like that. It must have, at the time. It must have been like wow. This is like it, it must have been. Imagine like a Stallone and Schwarzenegger movie at this same time. It must have been out of control to imagine that this could even happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they got and I mean like the. Stallone Schwarzenegger stuff, you know, everyone had been waiting for them to do a film together because they were kind of the, you know, action stars of the 80s. And arguably they waited too long. You know, they did Expendables, but then they did, uh, what was it, Escape, Escape Plan. Plan and, yeah. and it was like and it was like a too little too late yes. kind of. But with Pacino and De Niro, they came in at just the right time where, you know, the height of their powers may have been the 70s and they did Godfather 2 together but didn't appear. But... In the 90s, they're still like, they're both still leading men, but they've been just established just enough so that they've got that legendary status, but they're still, you know, they've still got all their powers. So it's kind of the, the perfect moment for them to do that, that team up film. You know, it wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. It was, it was 95. That was when you're supposed to do it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's, it's a time where, and this was a really great fertile time in, in, in American production at this minute because, you know, the Sundance era had come along and there's still these big studios were still throwing money at like really interesting crime drop, like a drama. Like essentially, you know, although this is a crime film, like it's, a, it's at its core, it's a drama about these two very unique professionals who are sort of counterpoints to one another. And so you see people going like, oh, we'll, we'll definitely throw money like at a Pacino and De Niro movie, but it probably right now as well, from a really interesting production perspective, it probably wasn't as expensive as they thought it was going to be to get these guys on the screen, especially with the cast. Like you must think like, you know, Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer, Voight, Sizemore, Venora, Amy Brenneman, Ashley Judd, like that's a big cast. Like that must have cost mm. a lot of cash to actually do this. You would think so. Yeah. It's, uh, you, you got to wonder what the, uh, what the the margin is there, uh, the, the above the line and the below the line costs. I'm, I'm amazed they had any money left for film stock, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's walking through actual emergency rooms, because they didn't have any money left to actually create Michael one. Man's like, look, um, I, I did the location scouting. We It's not going to... Let's just like pay the guys under the table to let us in there, and we'll just shoot with the natural light. Dante, you just go nuts. You know, let's, <laughs> let's do this, and we'll just go through it. Um, perhaps they even staged the whole crime because he did have them all training for it. So, you know, we, we never <laughs> Maybe know. Maybe that's where they got the money from. It's, that's, <laughs> that's how they raised the budget. Oh, they, it's all coming. Yeah, we figured it out. <laughs> we figured it out. They flipped They flipped the bar bonds and we were good. Um, so I think what's kind of 
in this movie, it's... Um, and Man does it in a lot of his villains. He just kind of skates past or he really quickly establishes uh, context, but isn't in a massive rush to over-explain stuff. So, But I think everything's done in the performances here. So when he talks about robbery, homicide, division... Oh, so are we going to take it at, you know, local level? And he goes, and, and just that one sentence, even though he's super dismissive, it's just so perfect. Mm. He's just like, these look like gangbangers robbing a 7-Eleven. You know, robbery homicide division is going to take this. And so it's just immediately you get hierarchical. Oh, they're important. They're the, they're the top. And I think you've already seen how clinical and how perfect that they operate. Um, and you're starting to get a sense because this is, just before this this minute that we're watching is sort of just before we see Vincent really grab it by the horns and and use his crew to say target these individual things that need to be looked at next because now that I've absorbed the information this is what we've got to do and it just ends so succinctly on no this is like come on man you've seen they burned an ambulance they made police play bumper cars you know they've killed all these people this is not for you, traffic cop guy, who probably is like the character that I'm playing in real life, but this is not for yeah, you. Yeah. So it's this right, perfect little moment that comes up here. Um, and even just the, the the amazing look, there's like, if you get a second, between 15 minutes and 51 seconds, if if, if you're lucky enough, 15 minutes and 51 seconds and about 15 minutes and 50 seconds, you see this cop talking to Pacino just for a second, and you you only have to look at Pacino's face. Like he looks so disgusted. <laughs> like his whole face, <laughs> he's just sort of squinting his eyes. His cheekbones are really, you know, he's really prominent. He's kind of looking at him like this guy's talking to him, and he looks completely impatient and frustrated. Like, are you like what are you even asking me? Like, what is the stupidity of this question? He's listening to it, and he. He completely looks away from it. He, by 15 minutes and 53 seconds, I love that performance choice because he's just stopped caring what words are even mm. coming out of this guy's mouth. Well, look around. Look around. Like, come on, man. And he's not even making eye contact with him as we head into 15 minutes, 59 seconds, and then the 16th minute. Love it's it like so he's much. working on a different level and he's just lowered himself to the, to <laughs> talk to mere mortals. And okay, fine. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bring myself down to earth and work on your level. But really, I'm operating on this other godlike level where I capture these, uh, yeah. these uh, supervillains. Yes, supervillains and superheroes. Pacino v. De Niro. I love that we've discovered this. I hadn't even never, th- it's strange, I'd never thought of that. I love this podcast is teaching me new things all the time. <laughs> that's what happens when you, you devote so much time to each minute of a, of a masterpiece. Yeah, that's right. We're in we're in the thick of this masterpiece. Lee Zachariah, thank you so much for a couple of minutes of one heat minute. Uh, a couple of minutes of heat, but a couple of actually 40-odd minutes of uh, one heat minute by the time that we're done with this. Thank you so much for joining me. Can I can I wrangle you back at a future minute? Oh. Is there is there another minute that you would love? Is there something that you're thinking about in the, from this masterpiece that you would love to come back and join me for? There is. I have other favorite minutes. Uh, oh. I, I won't tell you what they are okay. until until later. But um, I have a feeling that whichever minute I come back for, that will be my favorite minute. Fantastic. I, I I bet. I bet. I'm enjoying them more progressively as we go on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again for joining me for One Heat Minute. As promised, I've had 
some awesome folks join me here. Lee, thank you so much again uh, for joining me. And you'll see more awesome folks joining us to talk through this masterpiece, Michael Mann's 1995 film, Heat. We will catch you for the next minute, the 16th minute, actually the 17th minute of Heat, but starting at minute 16, uh, next episode. See you soon, guys. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Lee Zachariah, for joining me on One Heat Minute. Ladies and gents, the best place to find Lee is on Twitter, at Lee Zachariah, which is L-E-E-Z-A-C-H-A-R-I-A-H. And that will lead you off into all the many places that you will find him. Also, every month, uh, the institution, as I mentioned, hell is for hyphen. It's still kicking along, going beautifully. So subscribe and rate and review that bad boy, as well as subscribing, rating and reviewing One Heat Minute. Thank you so much for your company. And I am Blake Howard, at Blake is Batman on Twitter, if you want to follow along and check out updates for One Heat Minute. <laughs>